0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Banter, the podcast aimed at bringing you your dose of murder relaxation. So, just sit back and enjoy. and welcome to another episode of the true crime banter podcast we've got tito here joining us today Mm -hmm. and every day Mm -hmm. and uh today i finally did something productive for the podcast (laughs) and wrote a case
1: (laughs) it's been a few who's counting
0: oh you but only only personally no i don't care but yeah, so uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. I think we're just going to hop right into it.
1: Yeah, for this being local-ish for us, I've actually never heard of it before.
0: Yeah, in fact, when I just told you I was going to cover this case, you were like, oh, that one? I was like, no, it's a different one, because yeah. there's like two very similar cases in the same city that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah,
1: which is disturbing, but not yeah. surprising.
0: And uh, yeah, yeah. So we're just going to hop right into this. This one takes place in a city like literally like 10, not even 10 minutes away from us. So very local. Mm -hmm. Here we go. February 4th, 1997, a mere few days into the new year. The holidays were over, Christmas had come and gone, and while the first month of the year marks a time for goals and resolutions for many, what happened this morning would alter the trajectory of two boys' lives forever. It begins in a small park in Bellevue, Washington, a sister city to Seattle. Two young boys are doing what any two young boys would do in a park, playing. When they come upon a pile of clothes in the bushes. Now, nowadays, with the unfortunate rise in homelessness throughout the area, that wouldn't really seem like a big deal. And honestly, to be, I guess, honest, even in this instance, it didn't seem like much. The two boys continued playing on. It wasn't until the next day that the same two boys returned to that same park, inspected the same bush, expecting to see that same pile of clothes laying in it. Except this time, they realized that what they were looking at was not a pile of clothes at all. No, what they were looking at was the dead body of 20-year-old Kimberly Wilson, strangled to death with the cord still wrapped around her neck. Immediately, the boys ran home, told their parents about what they had found, and just as quickly as the boys had reported the body, the Bellevue police was at the scene. Immediately, it was clear that there was a definite struggle. The cause of death was obvious, death by strangulation, but defensive wounds on Kimberly's body show that she was both conscious and fighting back against whoever the attacker was. After searching the local areas of the park, Bevue police were fortunate enough to have located a matching driver's license to the body found, giving them a name to the unknown victim. That name, of course, being Kimberly Wilson. With her identity now known, the next step for detectives was to visit her home, to not only inform her family of what had happened, but to find out if they had any idea... Of who could have done this to her.
1: When Detective Jeff Gomes pulled up to the Wilson household, everything was seemingly normal. The family cars were parked out front. Christmas lights lit up the exterior, welcoming in the new year. But the moment he got up to the front door, he knew something was off. With a driveway full of cars, you would think there'd be some sort of liveliness coming from outside. But instead, all he saw was dark. Not a single light turned on inside. Maybe Kimberly was home alone the night she was attacked. Maybe the family was gone on vacation. But even then, most people would usually leave at least one light on in the house, you know, to make it at least look like someone's home, but not here. As Detective Gomes peered through the front window, he saw nothing but what looked to be an empty house. So being the sleuth that he is, he started to walk around the home. And when he got to the sliding door still left open from the night before, That off feeling in his stomach immediately escalated.
0: Bellevue Police, is anybody home? I repeat, Bellevue Police, is there anybody in here?
1: Detective Gomes yelled into the darkness, but his response he did not receive. So in he crept, with his backup officer right behind him. Guns drawn, not knowing who or what he might come upon, and what he walked in on, he was not prepared for. Downstairs was quiet, about as normal as can be, aside from the silence. But as they made their way upstairs, the reality of what happened was starting to show. The walls and ceilings were spattered with blood. The first room he entered was the master room. On the bed in that room laid Kimberly's mother, Rose Wilson. And on the floor, Kim's father, Bill, both of them dead both having separate stab wounds to the upper chest and neck area, and both having had had their head bashed in multiple times via a blunt object. Down the hall laid another body. It was Kimberly's 17-year-old sister, Julia. She seemed to have had heard the commotion going on outside her room, because reports say that Julia had put up a fight against the attacker. She was found with a broken arm, along with the same deadly wounds found in both her parents'.
0: Four dead bodies, two separate locations, and no witnesses. That's what investigators were left with, so they started their investigation in the simplest way, and began interviewing the neighbors. Reports about the Wilson household were seemingly great all around. Everyone had only good things to say about Bill and Rose. There was, however, one blemish on the family's record, quote-unquote. And that's that about a year prior to this, there was a domestic disturbance called in. Apparently, Kim and her parents had gotten into a bit of an argument, enough so that the neighbors thought it would be a good idea to call the police in. It seems that, although things were heated, the family was able to move past it and continue on with their normal, everyday lives. Kim's turbulent relationship with her parents seemed to be an on-again, off-again type thing. Counselors from her high school, the same high school that her sister Julia was currently attending, explained that during Kim's senior year, she would consistently discuss issues that were happening at home. You could almost say that the domestic disturbance call was the culmination of years of disagreements. One thing that investigators were able to take away from the reports that they received from Kim's high school friends is that after graduation... Kim started to associate herself with a less-than-friendly group of young adults. This group aptly named themselves the Saturday Night Denny's Club, because, as you could probably guess, they would spend their Saturday nights at the local Denny's, sipping on coffee, smoking on cigarettes, and simply put, just chatting. It's not clear exactly how many people made up this ragtag goth group, as some news sources report it, but we do know the names of three people that are or were at some point sitting in those same Denny's boots. Those names are Sarah Lamp, Alex Barani, and David Anderson. I want to mention that Kimberly Wilson was never part of these Denny's meetups, specifically, but she did befriend a number of the people that were in that group, so Kimberly she wasn't necessarily considered a stranger to the relationship in these, I guess, with these people, um, but she wasn't particularly part of that Saturday night Denny's club. Sarah Lamp was the same age as Kimberly, and the reason we know her name is because she was a key witness in the eventual murder trial of the Wilson family. Detectives questioned Sarah, who had a solid alibi for the night of the murders but used the information that she had given them to then go and question the other two members named earlier.
1: What Sarah explained to investigators about this Saturday Night Diners Club is that the basis of this group was described best in one word, rebellion. When this group got together, it was a time for all of them to, for lack of a better term, role play, different ideas and situations that came through their mind. As described by Sarah and other unidentified members of this group, their late-night discussions would center around ideas of crime and sex. A good example would be something like discussing weird fantasies about breaking into schools and having sex in the different classrooms. I saw an exact report of what was they discussed, but I think that's a good summary of how those conversations would go. However, there was always one topic that would consistently be brought up in just about every week, and this topic is much more sinister than a simple break and enter. And that topic is murder. Sarah explained that this topic was almost always brought up by one of two people, either Alex Brani or David Anderson. She said that at one point, the exact discussion of killing the Wilson family actually did come up, though the idea that any of the group members would ever commit one of the many crimes discussed was never thought to be possible. This information that Sarah shared with Detective leads them straight to the next two people in question, and that's Alex and David.
0: Alex Baranyi and David Anderson consider themselves best friends. Neighbors of Baranyi said he often referred to them as the Blues Brothers because they were always together wearing long, matching trench coats. The two friends, both 17 years old at this point, would often spend their time playing either D&D or video games together. D&D, for those who don't know, is Dungeons & Dragons, a fantasy role-playing game that, from my understanding, requires a lot of imagination and creativity to play. Thus, you could almost say it fits perfectly into that role-playing discussion that they'd have every Saturday night. Conveniently for both of them, when asked where they were the night of the murders, the answer was simple. They were playing video games at Alex's house, which... I'll be honest, sounds exactly like what I was doing back in high school. And I'm sure plenty of people my age can also (laughs) relate. Now typically, there isn't a big issue with an alibi like that. Yes, it's difficult to corroborate the story when the only two people who are witnesses to it are the ones directly involved. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that playing video games really is what the two of them were doing on the night of January 3rd. However, there was one issue with this story, and that's something that David's girlfriend at the time had told detectives.
1: David's girlfriend, when questioned about what she knew about that fateful night, told detectives that she let David borrow her truck. When asked if David told her what he did with the truck, she said he just sat in a park. And when she looked at the lack of gas that he used that night, it made sense. But, knowing that Kimberly Wilson was found dead in a park less than 10 blocks from her house, and now hearing that David's story to his girlfriend on the same night was just sitting in a park, police had reason to believe that he might be one of their guys. And I say their guys, because based on the evidence left at the Wilson household, police were able to make out two distinct footprints left in the blood. Mm -hmm. As mentioned earlier, the police also interviewed the neighbors of Brawny, and what they told the police contradicted what Alex and David had told them. One neighbor said they saw the two boys leave in a black pickup truck not long after 10 p.m. that night. That same neighbor said they were up until almost 3 a.m. the next morning and they never saw the black truck return. To add to that, though, a second separate neighbor said they did see the black truck return, except they saw it return as nearly 4 a.m. that morning, which makes sense why the first neighbor never saw it come back. So with this information, coupled with the bloody footprints and the story that David's girlfriend was able to provide, police were damn near positive these two had something to do with the murders of the Wilson family. And they had the support they needed as well. Since within just a few days, they were able to get written permission to search both boys' households.
0: Upon searching David's house, police were able to locate a pair of boots that David swore he never owned. So when police first spoke to David, they took a photo of his shoe prints to see if they matched the crime scene. They didn't. And David at that time said that's his only pair of shoes that he owned. So what are these? Of course, police found this other pair of boots that David must have conveniently forgotten about. And I say conveniently because guess what? Small liquid substance was found on the boots. It was blood. After DNA testing, this blood was proved to be that of both Bill and Julia Wilson. You might be thinking, well, there it is. The most obvious proof that David and Alex were the ones who did it. Boots, blood, makes sense to me. And I'd agree. Except, it gets worse. For David and Alex, that is. Because, upon searching Alex Baranyi's home, police found a number of items including a telephone a CD player, and a VCR all stolen from the Wilson household. And to make it more obvious, Bill Wilson's blood was also found on a couple of these items.
1: So here we are. All the evidence in the world showing the two boys had at some point been inside the Wilson household. Eyewitness testimony from neighbors stating the boys left the home late in the night, not to return till extremely early the next morning. Stories from friends and acquaintances stating that both David and Alex had discussed weekly the idea of murdering someone, including Kimberly specifically at times, and so there was nothing left to do but to charge them with murder. But as we all know, the last thing prosecutors want to do is charge someone without having all their ducks in a row. And in this situation, I think it's safe for one to assume that they did, especially after having searched the two boys' homes. But the beauty of an assumption like that is not only do people like us on the outside have that thought, but so did someone else. That someone being Alex Brony himself. Just five days into this investigation, police brought in Alex Brawny for some more questioning. And during that questioning, Alex confessed to the murders of all five of the Wilson family members. He explained to investigators that he had been planning to murder someone for well over a year now. He felt like he was in a rut, and in a bit of a decline when it came to his personal character, and apparently this murder was supposed to get him out of that rut, I'm not sure. What he went on to describe is that he and an unnamed accomplice, convenient, lured Kimberly to the park that night, with the sole intent of killing her. Alex said that once Kimberly got to the park, she was talking to his accomplice. And while she was doing that, he came up behind her and started strangling her, with his unnamed accomplice beating her at the same time. Afterwards, Alex goes on to tell he realized that Kimberly might her family where she was that night when she met up with him, and they were going to be wondering where she was when she didn't return that night. So, as logic tells, the only sensible thing to do next was to kill her entire family. No witnesses, no problem.
0: Okay, sure.
1: So Alex and his accomplice did just that. They took a baseball bat and a combat knife, snuck into the Wilson household, and proceeded to take the lives of the remaining three members of Kimberly's family. Afterwards, stealing the previously mentioned items from the household because, hey, if you're going to kill the family, you might as well get a VCR out of it.
0: Makes sense to me, I guess. Throughout Alex's retelling of that night in question, he consistently refused to name his accomplice. But if you're thinking what I'm thinking, we both know it has to be David. So the next day, police decide to bring David into the station, and what do you know, suddenly David's story about being with Alex that entire night changes. David claimed that he lied about being with Alex. Instead, he took his girlfriend's truck and without any purpose whatsoever, just drove back and forth on the I 90 freeway between Bellevue and Seattle. Back and forth, Bellevue to Seattle, no reason whatsoever but to just kill some time? I'm. De- Detective knew this simply wasn't true. Time was not what David intended on killing that night. Although David refused the idea that he was ever with Alex that night, and Alex refused the idea that he would ever give up the name of his accomplice. Prosecutors did exactly what you're all waiting to hear them do, and that's charged both of these 17-year-old boys with four counts of first-degree murder, and even more rightly so, charge them both as adults. Alex Brawny's trial happened first. His was fairly straightforward as he was the one who actually confessed to the killings. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. A week later, David Anderson's trial began. This one was a bit more difficult because with David, there was no confession. The entire trial relied solely on the evidence, and this evidence, of course, had to prove that David was the accomplice in Alex's confession. For whatever reason, the jury was hung with one juror holding out on convicting David Anderson. Nearly a year to the day later, Prosecutors would then have to retry David again for his role in the Wilson family murders. This time, a unanimous guilty verdict being reached in less than six hours. He was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. One of the interesting factors in this case is that there's always been this idea thrown out there that the two boys wanted to commit these murders before their 18th birthday, Reason being that if they were both underage, they wouldn't be tried as adults. Obviously, they were wrong about that, and they were both clearly tried and convicted as adults. The interesting thing, though, is that back in 2012, the federal government prohibited life sentences for juveniles, stating that they still have a chance for a meaningful life outside of prison. The current max sentence available for a juvenile is 45 years. And just last year, February of 2022, 45 years is exactly what prosecutors fought for after David petitioned for resentencing. After two days of hearings, a King County Superior Court judge settled on a minimum of 33 years for David Anderson, meaning that David could be eligible for parole come 2030. Alex Barani, who also has the option to file a petition for a new sentence, has yet to do so. that is the story of, I guess, not just Kimberly Wilson, but the entire Wilson family. Right. Um, I know one of the the ways that this is referred to is the 1997 Bellevue Massacre or Bellevue Murders. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because I think in 94, there was another set of murders that we'll probably cover at some point.
1: There's a few different Bellevue cases
0: that yeah. I know of. But the one in 94 is very similar to this, where it's Two people associated with the third. Anyways, okay. um, yeah. So uh, that is that's the story, or I guess the case, the situation with the Wilson family. Uh, I like the fact that they thought they they wouldn't get tried as adults.
1: I know. I go ahead. No, continue. I was just gonna say that I, um, from my small amount of looking into this case, I'm like my we've had this a few times where. That will get brought up and it kind of instantly is like, oh, because you're young. Like, I don't want to say that's like the base of everything, but there's that kind of thinking process is very much like you're still a child. Like, no wonder you're talking about like
0: the oh, man, what if her family probably knows? shoes you know, with us so we should well or I you're guess, thinking that they're gonna get away with so the, it's
1: the combination right that like you think that you need to take all these measures and it's so dramatic and so unnecess- unnecessary right. and so not thought out and there's no logic in it it's almost like overly logic that they think they're being overly logical and right. it's actually the opposite like, yeah
0: because i think one of them was it was like a month or like two months before they turned 18 years old so like you're saying as long as we get it before we turn yeah. 18 the logic means that we can't
1: right but it's probably one of them it's what it sounds like and what it comes off like is like when you're talking to someone like i have a younger brother and he's a fucking idiot like i mean like Shout love out. you so much <laughs> but especially in his younger days i mean he's what only 22 but i'm thinking like 18 19 20 those years, the stuff that would come out of his fucking mouth was just like, yeah. did you even look that up? Did you just hear it from like yeah, somebody at a bus it? stop or where, where'd did you, you get that from?
0: The single Joe Rogan episode? Yeah, honestly.
1: <laughs> I mean, that comes off like there's no fact checking. Yeah. It sounds like something a kid would do, a 17 year old would do. They would right, think, right. oh, I think I heard that on like a Dateline thing one time. It's probably right. And they haven't checked in on it or anything or like yeah. that the laws Looked are different it, in your state or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, thank God they're all fucking stupid. I mean, right. that's how yeah. they get caught and shit.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. I guess I, w- I wouldn't even say interesting, but, like, Alex, the one that confessed to it, is also the same one that isn't pe- petitioning to get resentenced.
1: There can be so many different things and why somebody would do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be, obviously, how you process the fact of or how everything went down. Mm-hmm. You know, he's maybe he actually feels guilt for it and thinks he does deserve a life in prison for taking the lives of right. four people maybe his lawyer's like dude you you confess to it like you're not gonna get
1: or he's afraid it. that it really won't go well and that's a lot of work to go through something that is like you're yeah. either gonna end up in the same spot
0: yeah put everybody through it mm-hmm. again I guess yeah uh I mean I, I think I first heard this one probably like five or six years ago I want to oh, say
1: wow and yeah I never heard it
0: I I love how the the night after uh, Alex confesses, all of a sudden David's like, listen, I, I actually wasn't with him. I know I've been saying it every time you talk to me, yeah. but now I just kind of wanted to drive yeah. back and forth to, I don't know, just
1: super normal. So,
0: so dumb. Like you said, it's, it's like children.
1: No. Yeah. And we already know they are, but it's. Yeah. I mean, if you could look back on so many non murderous things that we did when we were kids, you'd be like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, just so happened to be public.
0: I think you can, you can kind of see why there is a, uh, I don't want to say conflict or disagreement, but how you approach underage, like juveniles in crimes like this, because a ton of what they did and said is like very juvenile. You're like, you're oh, yeah. definitely a child.
1: They're yeah. They're not developed. And yeah, there's a difference between a child's undeveloped brain and an adult's developed impaired or, damaged brain i guess or completely mm-hmm. sane brain like you can't really compare the two you no. have you have an undeveloped brain to begin with but then also look at them individually are they also abused and also right, yeah. were they're they more damaged yeah.
0: to their brain did
1: they have a mental they're... illness or were they on some kind of medication they weren't supposed to be on or there's so many yeah. different things
0: yeah and then it makes sense yeah why there is i guess limitations to some you know juvenile right. sentence this isn't the first case i think that we've even covered uh where the an underage mm-hmm. suspect who was convicted then was resentenced based right. on like laws changing mm-hmm. in the time that they're in I've prison. even
1: heard of some states, probably Florida, sorry. Yeah. But of children children being convicted of adult or being right. charged with adult, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna like we'll, thirteen we'll, years old. You're
0: right. I mean, yeah, I. Gosh, it's a, but was it's one with like a taxi driver or something. I don't no, know. Yeah.
1: But it's all because people thought that the crime was so messed up that they somehow
0: it's, wanted yeah. like
1: they deserve to be put away forever. Not just like oh, it's a kid and they must be that fucked up. It's like oh, it's a kid and this crime is super bad. So they need to be put away forever. Versus like, oh, let's just right. see what's wrong with him. I'm not saying let him out. No, but, but get
0: him some different charging help, him as like yeah, fucking that's adult like in shit? this in this situation, first degree know. murder. You know, pretty much pre planning all your your uh, crimes. I suppose. Uh, how do you say that a six year old or like a twelve year old mm-hmm. was like, yep, I'm gonna kill this entire family oh or kill God, like yeah. what? Yeah, you can't, you can't charge them and give them life. Yeah. You know? Especially yeah. when it's like, if there is time for rehabilitation, especially when you're that young, I think you probably could.
1: I have a question. Be- when you were doing your research, did you see anything about there being a financial motivation in this? Because I heard it mentioned where Kimberly owed yes. one of them yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, 500 bucks. It and was that was five. like...
0: So there was, there was a lot of information that I didn't bring up in this case because it I couldn't really substantiate it mm. or you know solidify it because yeah there was a there was a theory that David was owing Kimberly about $500 and there was like a written note in Kimberly's bedroom that he yeah. signed saying that he would pay her yeah, back within the Yeah she made year. him right
1: sign a thing that was like yeah I'm gonna pay you back. Yeah
0: which even in that situation that's where maybe the juvenile part comes in where it's like $500 for the life of four people like
1: Right, so that could be just part of it, It could be all of it, who knows.
0: There was also um, a story about how David, I believe it was David and Kimberly, were on again, off again dating. Mm -hmm. And obviously there was a three-year age difference. One's in high school, one's out of high school at this point. And this was
1: before she moved. Like out? Well, she moved to California for AmeriCorps or something, right? Right,
0: Yeah. yeah. But it was very much like... I, in my head, like high school high dating, school, where, yeah. yeah. You're not really fully dating, but boys, then there was a situation where, uh Kimberly was thought to maybe be bisexual or oh, also wow. into girls. and okay. so, so
1: there's uh, a lot of like random information. Yeah, okay. exactly.
0: And that's why I didn't really like put right. it into the case because well, also her being do... bisexual
1: has nothing to do with this at all, right? No, so but that they were sense. saying that
0: maybe that he felt ashamed, like oh, it was oh, his God fault on. that she was gay or into girls. Now, it's whatever. Shit like right. That. You're in high stuff, school, so people say dumb things. Yeah. yeah so yeah, there was a, a few different um, theories that kept getting thrown around. Because
1: wasn't she here on like a vacation or a holiday or I something? I think just
0: returning, yeah. Because she did go down to California for, is it
1: Ameri- AmeriCorps? AmeriCorps. Okay. It wasn't Job Corps, no, it was no, no, AmeriCorps, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and I again, I'm trying to think of another. There was a one other theory that was out there that I'm just like, that too much
1: the podcast you know? that i was listening to that cover this case i only got like maybe three quarters of the way through it um said that she had run into one of them at factoria mall when she okay. was up here All And right. i was listening to that on the day that i was at victoria at mall, mall <laughs> and it was so weird i know it's gonna mean nothing it was just so like what are the chances that i was at the same mall Listening that to they, a case that they yeah that yeah i don't know it. i don't know i was then i was like am i standing where they ran into hey, each other like it was that. just fucking weird was I, it don't <laughs> I don't know this red robin hold on so a second <laughs> yum um
0: yeah. yeah there was there was a few things that uh there there's a website maybe i'll link it link to it in the description that has a lot of just random details Okay. again i went through them all some and people I, like that yeah. yeah and and maybe for the inter- entertainment pur- purposes you could be like ooh, possibly this possibly that but
1: possibly you yeah mm-hmm. but
0: to to just say that that's what it is yeah um, i looked into most of them or most of the ideas and it's just like only like yeah. one story ri- uh, mentions it one news article i even went into like the ap uh news like articles from or archives from 1998 when like the trial was re-going through mm-hmm. and it's just like it's so it's interesting because it sounds like it's happening today yeah like the way that they n- cover news still exactly the same today when it yeah. comes to like situations like this
1: hmm. but yeah
0: yeah so i will i'll link that in case people want to i don't know how they're on theories
1: it's kind of i don't know just Yeah, these I don't like to go too long at the end of these. I always have my thoughts, but I don't really have too many thoughts on this one. I don't, but I, I think that's a good thing, just because when I
0: straightforward, yeah,
1: and it's you know, and I'm not gonna say that everyone's gonna agree with the sentencing and the years and whatever, and maybe how the trial went and stuff. But anytime someone is successfully put away. I always feel better about it. Obviously, yeah. I'm not a family member of the victims or anything. And so there's always going to be a whole different set of emotions for someone personally connected to it. But as far as on yeah, this side even of it... Yeah, family
0: members of... Yeah, Alex and David too. Right. They might have a different opinion because of that.
1: Yeah, as a listener, I think I just take like a deep breath, like, oh, okay, like at least they're put away, and it's not some mystery of who did it. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah, just out r- there. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. And even
1: so, somewhat closure, I guess. At least you're almost, not wondering who did it.
0: Yeah, and it's it's almost with the the juvenile aspect of it, it kind of makes it easier to be like, they were dumb kids. Like the idea to be like, I wanted to do it to, because right. I was in a rut. It's a also, little ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the scream murders you did where you're children, like yeah. you think that this is a thing that you've seen on TV before that you get away with. That's just something you do and then you move on with your life and then reality fucking punches you in the face. Yep. And you're in jail for however many years and you get out and you're basically grandpa grandma age whatever yeah imagine i mean yeah.
0: he'll be he would be like 50 or something by the time he would even yeah uh, you're in a courtroom no. hearing
1: what your sentence is and doing the math of how old you'll be when you get out and that you know you do your growing up in prison yep you know and so then it doesn't occur to you like oh, oh I just okay. fuck myself now i get it but it's yeah, too like you're have already to think of it yeah. like an adult but exactly
0: yeah yeah well um yeah. I finally did something around here. (laughs) I did it, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Please don't leave any mean comments to me because I'm very sensitive when it comes. to (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Anyways, I hope you guys. It's me. I'm the crier. (laughs) Actually, you get you know what? Leave a review on Apple Review. Leave something on Spotify. And uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I guess that's been another episode of the True Crime Behavior podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Absolutely, and we will talk to you in in the next one. Bye. Bye.